Welcome everyone to the She Can Fix It podcast. My name is Dr. Alana Munger. This month, we have a great episode with Dr. Jennifer Moriatis Wolf. Dr. Wolf is a professor within the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at the University of Chicago and specializes in hand and upper extremity surgery. She has applied and been awarded numerous traveling fellowships and research grants throughout her career. Additionally, Dr. Wolf is the next president of the American Society for Surgery of the Hand. I had a fantastic time speaking with Dr. Wolf, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Jennifer Moriatis Wolf. Dr. Wolf, thank you so much for joining us on the She Can Fix a Podcast. I'm so excited to speak with you today. I have many things that I would love to get your opinion on, and I'm very excited to speak with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so what I would love is that in your own words, can you describe your background, where you went to medical school, residency, fellowship, and your post-fellowship years? Sure. So I uh, grew up in Maryland. I went to the University of Pennsylvania for medical school, so not so far away from home. Uh, A great medical school that honestly gave me a great look. I mean, I don't think without it, I would have gone into surgery because they actually had not a, they had a very balanced look, not just primary Mm -hmm. care, but looking at all the surgical specialties. So that's one of the reasons I think I went into surgery and orthopedics specifically. Um, I did my orthopedic residency at Brown University in Rhode Island. Um, as well as a trauma fellowship, which is sort of included um, in that residency, and then did my hand surgery fellowship at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, I then joined the University of Colorado uh, as a faculty member, um, and then moved after seven years to the University of Connecticut. Um, And then after six years there, I moved to the University of Chicago with the, uh, you know, the unifying factor being U and C. But honestly, all (laughs) the moves were for different things, um, you know, for different opportunities. And it's been a really, you know, interesting and adventurous uh, academic career for me. Wow, that's fantastic. And I know you spoke a little bit about why or when rather you wanted to go into orthopedics. And I would love to kind of delve into that about what specifically about orthopedic surgery really made you want to, you know, choose that as your career? Sure. So I, my first clinical clerkship in medical school uh, was general surgery. And I expected to hate surgery because I had worked in an ER in high school and I thought the surgeons were really not nice people. Um, <laughs> and I loved it. I love as much to my surprise. I thought surgery right. was amazing. And I was actually going to go into general surgery. Oh. And then I was, uh, I was working on one of the weekends and my former intern, who was then a PGY2, actually one of the uh, few female residents in the Penn program, I said, I'm so bored. I'm here on the weekend doing psych, actually. Uh, can I scrub in with you? And so she actually got me into a, uh, an intermedullary rod for the femur. Oh, and wow. I was hooked. And I thought, this is amazing. You fix people. They get up. They walk. They let me ream. You know, I was hooked. And that's why I went into orthopedics. More broadly, I really find and found that orthopedics was something it's really, you can put your hands around it. It's definitive. You can do things for people and you can see the difference you make. Is that everybody? No. You know, we can't make everybody better, but it, we can make a lot of people uh, function better. And that, that, you know, that is a great feeling and it's very gratifying. So that's why. 
Yeah, you know, that's so true how I love how you explain it where you literally can get your hands on it, right? Where like your physical exam, I remember doing general surgery during med school and it's just like you're like pressing on bellies and thing and you're just like, mm. whereas like with you can really just take, you know, a knee or an elbow through a range of motion. So you really truly can get your hands on it. And then you chose to further subspecialize into hand surgery. And so I would love to kind of delve into what specifically about hand and upper extremity surgery was so interesting to you. Oh, I found hand surgery the most fun. You get to do a little bit of everything. You get to do, it's sort of the best of orthopedics in many ways. I get to do tumor. I get to do tendons. I get to do fractures. I get to do nerve things. Um, I get to fix fractures, uh, you know, and, uh, and reconstruct uh, tissues. Uh, and so it's really gratifying. I, my day is different every single day. My clinic is different every single day. Uh, it's always with a new and different challenge. And so it's both reconstructive um, and decompressive and doing things that really you're doing a lot of different things. And I really like that variety. That's why it's most fun. Wow. That's incredible. And speaking of tumor, as someone who is going into orthopedic oncology, I'd love to take a moment to geek out a little bit and talk about, you know, you and treating tumors of the upper extremity. And so I would love if you can first just provide our listeners with basically a general overview of the types of tumors you commonly see um, in your practice. So it really is varied because I see tumor in two ways in my practice. Certainly, I see a number of soft tissue masses of the hand, wrist, elbow that I manage myself. So I will take out ganglia. I will do nerve sheath tumors. Um, I will take out um, neurofibromatosis, for example. I've taken out fibromas and lipomas and vascular tumors wow. all in the fingers and hand, wrist, uh, as well as in the forearm. But the other part of my practice that's actually really pretty fun as well is that I work with our tumor oncologists and will do reconstruction after they take out a tumor. In fact, that was a case I did today. They took out a tumor of the distal ulna uh, and we worked on stabilizing the ulnar stump at the moment because we need to make sure that that tumor is all cleared before we do anything reconstructive for that. Um, so I will often do um, soft tissue reconstruction after they take out a tumor and get the margins they want. So it's a great opportunity to work cooperatively with the orthopedic oncology uh, faculty as well. So wow. it's, it's, it's really fun. What are some of the special considerations that you think orthopedic um, oncologists should know when they're thinking about tumors of the upper extremity versus tumors of the pelvis or tumors of the lower extremity? I mean, I'd, I'd say that it, you have to, for all those places, you really have to think of what is the impact on function when you remove that tumor. For the upper extremity in particular, we in hand surgery are always concerned about preserving the nerves, preserving the tendons, because that's their function. Um, you know, it's very funny that people in orthopedics make fun of hand surgeons because we operate on bones you can swallow and all right. these other things. But I will tell you that those people are in my office crying when their hand doesn't work because their hand is their instrument. And I, that is never more clear to me than when I am doing my day that, you know, if I, if I wasn't able to use my hands to do my job, I would be very impacted. And so I think that's the one thing about that's different about the upper extremity. Yes. You know, can we take away your ability to walk and do other things? Absolutely. The foot and ankle surgeons would kill me if I didn't say that. And it's very true. And it's also quite functional, but your function on how you use your phone and type and do art and do all these other things is very dependent on your hand working. And that is a, a bit of a different uh, objective 
when you talk right. about upper extremity surgery. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. Oh, thank you for that. See, learning every day. I love it. Um, and I would love to kind of move on to one of the things that I found so interesting about, you know, in researching you as the traveling fellowships that you've done. And so you've been awarded multiple traveling fellowships. And so I'm going to list them off here. So the Alexandra Kirkley Traveling Fellowship from the RJOS in 2006, the John J. Fahey, I hope mm-hmm. I'm saying that right, uh, North American Traveling Fellowship from the AOA in 2007, uh, the Sterling Bunnell, hopefully I'm saying Bunnell. Right. Bunnell. I know he like literally founded the ASSH, so I should probably say that correctly. Um, <laughs> Bunnell Traveling Fellowship from the American Society for uh, Surgery of the Hand in 2010. And then the American British Canadian Traveling Fellowship from the American Orthopedic Association in 2013. Um, and I know that this may be a long answer from you, but I would love to kind of know the story behind each of these fellowships, you know, what stages in your career were you and, you know, just what you were able to achieve with these. Sure. So I, I've been very privileged to do a number of traveling fellowships. And I think one of the things I love travel, I'll start by saying that, and you really have to, if you're going to do one of these things, because it is time away from your home, your practice, your family, in right. all these cases uh, for me. But what you learn is a different perspective from all the people you visit. So I'll start with the Ruth Jackson uh, traveling mm-hmm. fellowship. So it's in memory of Alexandra Kirkley, who was a Canadian um, sports surgeon who tragically died quite young in a car, in a plane crash, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was a big outcome specialist and this, uh, that fellowship is named for her. And so one of the things that was actually pretty amazing, I was actually my, you have to have a theme and my theme was elbow and uh, looking at elbow instability and elbow mm-hmm. reconstruction. Um, and I was fortunate to go visit the University of Western Ontario, which is where she was at practice. And so what they wanted from me there was to give a talk about her. So I got to learn a lot about the person for whom that fellowship was named. In wow. addition to learning from people like Graham King and Ken Faber and George Ethwell, who were amazing elbow surgeons. So that was just an amazing opportunity. Wow. And that was early in my career, mm-hmm. um, since I started my career in 2003. Uh The next fellowship I did actually was, I would tell you, probably the most transformative fellowship I did. The North American Traveling Fellowship is an American Orthopedic Association fellowship aimed at people who are uh, young in their practice um, to develop future leaders in orthopedics. And the biggest benefits of that fellowship were the four other people I did it with. We are still very close friends. Uh, Until the pandemic, we had dinner at the AAOS every single year for oh, wow. 10 years and then into 13 years after our fellowship. Uh, because we be, you've traveled with, for five weeks with people, you become really good friends. Mm-hmm. I learned so much from these people who were also growing in their academic careers at that time. I also learned from all of the um, department chairmen and program chairs who took their time and spent time with all of us to teach us about how they ran their department and how they ran their practices um, and what their thoughts were on the future of academic orthopedics. And so it was an incredible um, fellowship. It really uh, reaffirmed for me why I was in academics um, and really it provided me with a number of opportunities to meet people in the U.S. So that was uh, really amazing. Wow. 
Um, the Sterling Bennell Traveling Fellowship is a fellowship given to one uh, young hand surgeon per year. And it was a very different fellowship. The, uh, the AOA fellowships are set up for you. You go, it's a trip, it's planned. Uh, the Bennell Fellowship, I got to plan myself. I had my own theme and my theme was uh, learning about basilar thumb joint arthritis and some of the basic science around it because that was my research and clinical interest. Mm-hmm. And so I was privileged to visit uh, a rheumatologist in Iceland who was doing some work in this, a, a rheumatologist in in the UK, um, as well as uh, a hand surgeon in Sweden, um, hand surgeon and actually a, an orthodontist at the University of Michigan who was doing some basic science on some of the work that I was doing with a particular hormone that I believe affects uh, basilar thumb joint ligaments. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to visit uh, Mark Garcia Elias, who's a, a hand surgeon in Spain. So I, I, it was an amazing opportunity. I got to spend different pieces of time because I made my own schedule. It was not one big month of travel. I did it in chunks so that I could both maintain my practice and then go visit those places. And I learned an amazing amount that year uh, because it was a really amazing opportunity to sort of delve into a a clinical or basic science problem for me. It was both um, and find out from other people what they were doing so that it could inform my own research work. And interestingly, the people I met that year led to my doing my PhD in hand surgery in Sweden, which uh, wow. I finished in 2020. So congratulations just, on that. Goodness thank gracious. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so that was an amazing fellowship, you know, in a very different way, a right. much more individualized fellowship. And then finally, I'll finish up with the AOA uh, American British Canadian Traveling Fellowship, a really historic fellowship that's uh, run, you know, with people coming from um, overseas to the U.S. and Canada every other year, and then people from Canada, two from Canada, five from the United States, going to uh, either uh, to England every time, and then either Australia, New Zealand, or South Africa, and our group went to South Africa. And it was, it was, what I found that fellowship to be the most amazing was both the people who were with me and their leadership styles, because we were a little further along in our careers, and also just the way practices and medicine and orthopedic surgery are done in different countries, in different right. locations, in different social um, social and clinical situations. Um, so it, really an amazing opportunity to see how uh, orthopedics was done. I got to meet many hand surgeons, uh, but I also got to meet just a wide swath of of orthopedic surgeons and see how they did their jobs, what their challenges were, uh, what the, for example, you know, TB in South Africa and uh, a lot of, uh, of blunt injuries in South Africa were the things that we learned about. A lot of their um, registry things in the UK that was really new at that time, mm-hmm. certainly spread to the US, but it was really pretty new at that time. Um, so we learned a lot about a lot of different health systems, which was incredible. Wow. That sounds absolutely amazing. And so I'm guessing that you would say knowing everything that you know now, you would recommend and you probably would do all of the traveling fellowships again. Oh, I would. (laughs) I would. I mean, you know, it it is a rare privilege and I, I, you know, I don't take it lightly. Um, You know, and I had the support of my department chairs um, and others in spending that time away from my practice, because the other thing you really have to do is, you know, be good to your partners and make up the time when you come back and make up the call when you come back, because it's a big chunk of time away. Um, And I tried my best to do that. Right. What were some of the challenges or barriers that you faced when doing these traveling fellowships that you wish you knew 
before even starting your first one? Like, what would you have wanted to tell your younger self to prepare for? Um, probably to take more notes because you forget, like, you know, you, you leave that trip and you're like, what, how did they do that again? <laughs> so really need to take more notes. If you really want to learn and, and have that learning stick, you know, write it down. I didn't do right. enough of that. Um, be better about staying in touch. I think I'm decent about it, but you know, mm -hmm. there are people who do it better. Um, because it's it, these, especially making these international connections and relationships is so valuable. It's such a, such a privilege, um, to do it. I also, I'm always blown away by the amazing hospitality shown to us by all of our hosts. And so it, it certainly makes me, you know, be the, I want to be that way. And that's my aspiration. Whenever anyone comes to visit me, I want to do the same. Wow. But those are the things I think I wish I'd known. Yeah, that's incredible. And I was hoping you could talk about what advice do you have for those individuals who are, you know, applying for their first traveling fellowship? So I first say when you're applying for something with a theme, be passionate about that theme. You'll speak about it better. You'll write about it better. You'll own it. It'll be yours um, because I think it'll be much more natural and you'll be a stronger applicant because of it for the individual sorts of theme fellowships. Mm -hmm. For the AOA fellowships, those are super competitive fellowships and they've only become more so. So, I mean, I think if you really are interested in those fellowships, you kind of have to crush it academically. They are about academic orthopedics and sort of being ambassadors for that. And so that's what they are looking for. That'd wow. be my advice. Wow. Perfect. And I would like to move on to your ORAF grant. So um, in 2008, you were awarded the Clinician Scientist Award uh, from the ORAF, which for our listeners is the Orthopedic Research and Education Foundation uh, for your project entitled, Does Relaxin Mediate Gender Differences in Joint Laxity and Osteoarthritis of the Thumb Carpometacarpal Joint? And so I would love if you could please humble brag and speak about this project and what you were able to achieve with this award. Sure. So the really interesting thing about this particular award is it's meant to buy time more than it's meant to buy lab equipment or reagents or things like that. So my goal, and it's actually, I mean, this is an ongoing research project, was to find out why women more than men showed up at my office with basilar thumb joint arthritis. Mm -hmm. uh, more than what I was told was things like women hold their baby's heads. And I've seriously been told that in my life. <laughs> yes. Um, and so uh, one of the theories that I had, and one of the theories that really makes a lot of sense to me is that women have greater laxity than men. That is an, actually a known fact. And so if women then load their thumbs, because when we load or grasp or grip, um, the heaviest load is seen at the base of the thumb. If your thumb is a little bit looser when you're female versus male, that joint will slosh around a little bit as you attempt to load it, likely load unevenly, and then cause arthritis. Mm -hmm. One of the other theories is that relaxin, a um, hormone that is elevated in pregnancy, but has been shown by me and others to uh, exist in non-pregnant women and in men, um, causes loosening of the ligaments around the time of pregnancy and childbirth, but it also basically causes collagen turnover in ligaments. So mm. it loosens ligaments in general. And so one of the thoughts that I um, had in my theory is that increased relaxin may be correlated uh, with increased joint hypermobility. 
what we were able to find based on um, some of the uh, money from this project and some of the time that I was able to spend on this were a few things. People with um, generalized joint laxity, unfortunately, do not have elevated levels of re generalized relaxing. Mm. However, people who have laxity at the basal or thumb joint, and we actually um, validated a way to measure that radiographically, those with greater laxity do have higher levels of measurable relaxant. So there is some correlation. Hmm. When we look at the ligaments themselves, uh, we do have receptors for relaxant in our basal or thumb joint ligaments. Um, so there is some suggestion that, that they are there. And there are also relaxant receptors in the synovium lining the basal or thumb joint. Uh, so there is some evidence that this has something to do with uh, joint laxity uh, in women greater than men. However, it's an open question. I still need to work on other joints. Um, I've done some collaborative work with Brett Owens, who is one of my uh, North American traveling fellows, actually, one of my colleagues, um, to look at shoulder instability. And we showed that those with measurable relaxation have greater, uh, higher amount of, of shoulder instability in a young athletic population at the U.S. Military Academy, because Dr. Owens, um, until he uh, joined the faculty at Brown University, was in uh, the U.S. Army hmm. at West Point. Um, so we have some uh, ongoing research on this topic. Um, so I think that there is more to be done for sure. But that was uh, that was the the, the subject uh, of my OREF grant. Wow, that's incredible! And just congratulations on all that work. I think it's I know it's it's a lot of time uh, that probably transpired between you know when you first started out and when all of these discoveries were made. So congratulations on all the work with that and. You know, what's amazing is that you've written and applied for traveling fellowships and were awarded with traveling fellowships. You've written for grants and were awarded grants. And so I was hoping you can kind of talk about what it is a part of the grant writing process that you, what advice do you have with regards to that? Sure. Um, this is actually a great story because I went to uh, the ORAF, uh, ORS grant writing workshop mm. uh, and the best story from that is that I was paired with Connie Chu, who, you know, was about to get her R01. Mike, right. I went to the workshop with an idea and that was it. But one of the things that, and so we were very different people, clearly. <laughs> I, I think two things really um, make a difference in terms of getting grants. You need to ask a good question. Again, a question that matters to you. Um, but the other thing you need to do is learn to write and organize your grant properly. My favorite story from that workshop was an NIH-funded researcher who said, okay, so I also have to do NIH grant review. And when I have grants to review um, and they're due in two weeks, I am usually sitting in the car in Minnesota in the middle of the winter at my daughter's gymnastics meet with 12 grants to review. And I have the heater on the car, it's dim, the light's not good, and I have my computer and I'm trying to read grants. And so, and what he said was, if that grant is not well organized, if I have to dig to find the question, I'm trying to figure out what they're asking. He said, I, that, that grant's going to get lower marked. So you must uh, learn to format your grant in a way that makes it understandable to people. And you must write your grant in a way that basically is organized well so people can understand it, can see your specific aims easily, can basically you ask your questions in a clear way. I can't emphasize that enough because that is half the battle. You need a good question, but you also need to be able to ask it in a way that people can understand. And that really can help. Wow. 
That's incredible. Well, thank you so much for sharing that advice because I certainly, you know, as I'm going off in my career, these are things that I just really want to know and I appreciate you sharing your expertise in that. Happy to help. Um, and I know that we've talked a lot about, you know, what when you first started orthopedics and everything that you've accomplished, but I would love to kind of talk about what your future goals and directions are for you clinically and research as well as your work for all of the many organizations that we literally didn't even touch on yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the biggest one that's upcoming is that I am currently the president-elect of the American Society for Surgery of the Hand. So next year- Yes, congratulations on that, by the way. I will be the president of that organization. <laughs> a big responsibility, a big challenge, a huge honor. Right. Um, and so I'm looking very forward to that year because I want to put my own stamp on this. And I want to do things, I want to change things a little bit about how things are done. Um, because I think that, you know, innovating and changing is always a good thing. So yeah. I am in very, I, I am very much in the depth of planning that. Um, so that's my big challenge coming up. One of the other things that I really have to think about is what I will give up to do that job well. Mm. I don't like saying no to things. I don't like giving up things, but I have to really figure out what I'm going to give up because I do want to spend the time that such a commitment needs. Uh, what else do I want to do? You know, I, I've been uh, fortunate to uh, continue to build our hand fellowship at the University of Chicago. I want to continue to innovate and make that better. Uh, I'm trying to expand sort of what uh, the fellows can do both across Chicago and we want to return to international travel for them because we always uh, took them on a mission trip. So right. that I really want to build back. Um, so that's another big challenge for me. Uh, and what else do I want to do? I, you know, I, I've really enjoyed uh, leadership um, in the orthopedic sphere, and I may look for other opportunities to do so, mm. uh, for sure. Um, in terms of research, I, you know, I I have finished up um, a Department of Defense grant, actually, that was sort of unrelated to my interest on basic thumb arthritis on mm. vitamin D and post-traumatic arthritis. And so I really want to return to some more of the basic work. Um, as well as the clinical work that I began in Sweden on basal or thumb joint arthritis. I was fortunate to harness some of the uh, Swedish database power to yeah. answer some questions, but we have a lot more questions uh, with my Swedish colleagues and I to answer. And so I want to continue that collaboration um, with my PhD supervisors who were incredible mentors, and I really learned a lot from them. So those are my sort of short and long-term goals for what I want to be doing. Wow. That's incredible. Do you think you'd be able to provide us with like a sneak peek of what you want to do as president of the ASSH? <laughs> sneak peek. Well, I, I'm working on um, a way to make coding a little easier for mm. hand surgeons. So that's, uh, I'll just leave it at that. So we're, we're going to work on that or at least coding, accessing coding information. Right. Um, so that's that's one of the things I want to um, I, I want to improve sort of uh, the fellow experiences. Fellows start um, by providing them sort of sort of centralized information. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm working on innovating our meeting a little bit, or at least my meeting um, to make both some social changes and then how we run the meeting um, a little more innovative. So uh, I'll start, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I have to save some. <laughs> I support that sneak preview. I know that I was uh, just finished my hand rotation. So I know the 64721 for that carpal tunnel. I yes. know that code very, very well. 
Um, and I would love to kind of, I know that you spent so much time with us and I would love to respect your time. And so what I would love to do is jump into our final segment, which is the final five, which are the okay. same five questions I ask every guest on the She Can Fix It podcast. And so my first final five question for you is what is your favorite procedure to perform and why? It's a hard one, actually, even though I should be prepared for this one, because uh, I, I really have two, so I'm going to take two. Um, one is ulnar nerve decompression. Ooh. And the reason I really, it's one of my favorite procedures was, it was the first procedure I did skin to skin as a resident. And oh. it was the reason, it's one of the reasons I went into hand surgery. I was like, wow, that was amazing. And I really love taking people through that because it's something you can see, it's very tangible, um, and it's a great procedure. Uh, and then the other one is, it has to harken back to my interest in basal thumb arthritis. I love doing basal thumb arthritis surgery, so I do a pretty traditional ligament reconstruction tendon interposition because I believe in the ligaments, I study them, so I have to reconstruct them. Um, right. And so that's the other one. So those are my two. Nice. That's incredible. Well, I'm fortunate to work with the hand surgeon here where when um, she does the tendon interposition, it's done in such like an intricate, it, it's like this perfect cinnamon roll donut thing that's like just <laughs> tossed in there and it looks so slick. And it's, it's just, of course, the hand surgeon would be able to make this tendon interposition just look like this perfect cinnamon roll as she like puts it in. But it's a very, <laughs> very cool procedure for sure. Um, it is. What are your go-to topics for Grand Rounds presentations? Well, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a broken record because I do speak about my research in base of thumb arthritis. So right. certainly that, uh, because I look at you know the role of hypermobility and hormones actually in base of thumb arthritis. So that's one. Um, a more recent one I've developed um, is mentoring and the role of mentoring and academic growth, because I certainly struggled with mentorship earlier in my career. And so I want people to learn from my mistakes and learn, you know, what helped me. Uh, and so that's a more recent one. And then I have also an interest in tennis elbow and radial tunnel syndrome and the overlap between the two. And so that's another one that I tend to speak about a good bit. Wow. Gosh, that's a whole breath. That's hand surgery where you're just going all <laughs> over the place. It's uh, a little all over the place for sure. That's incredible. Um, and I know that this is usually one of the harder questions, um, but what is your favorite story slash memory as an orthopedic surgeon? My favorite one. So one of them would be actually the last surgery I did before I had my first child because it was pretty funny mm -hmm. um, because I it, it was actually just taking a screw out of a, a, a interlocking screw out of a femur because I was a super chief um, before I had my first child. And I was like nine and a half months pregnant. You know, I, I basically was late uh, with my first child. And so the dad of this 17 year old uh, girl said to me, are you going to be okay with this? And I said, I will be fine we will get this done. Um, and it was just such a funny story because he was like, are you sure you can do this? And I said, I'm a surgeon, we can do this. And so yeah. we, we got this out without a problem. The other funny one around that time would be the uh, OBGYN I took care of, uh, who had an elbow, uh, had a, sorry, an ankle fracture dislocation. Mm -hmm. Um, and he asked me whether he want, whether I wanted to know uh, how big my baby was. And I was like, no, thanks. I'm good. I will just take care of your ankle. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. That's absolutely hilarious. I remember when I was at the later stages of my pregnancy, the, my belly, like I, I was doing eyes on hand and my, literally my belly, like got, in, we were doing an elbow case and my attending was like taking the arm through a range of motion. And as she's doing this, the hand just kept hitting my belly. And I was just like, I'm, this is just in the way. I'm so sorry. But oh my gosh, I remember those moments. Um, and I know that we've talked a lot about what you've done in the operating room and in medicine, but I would love to hear about what your favorite activities are outside of medicine and outside of the operating room. Sure. So, I, I mean, you heard a little bit about this, but I love, love, love to travel. So I love to go to different places and new places. Um, I love um, fine cuisine. So I've, I, I've been fortunate to eat some very uh, fancy Michelin starred uh, cuisine around the world. Wow. And that's been just an incredible thing. I really like um, uh, Italian wines. And so mm. I enjoy learning about those. I love to read. I love to hike. Um, I, I would, I will do a hike anywhere and I will usually find one if I can do it. And I like walking my dog keeps me grounded. So Aww. those are the things I like to do. What type of dog do you have? Uh, rescue, but, uh, he oh. is a border collie mix and he is oh, just nice. beautiful. Oh, that's precious. My, I, we have a Labradoodle puppy, um, and she's a high maintenance who believes that she's a human. So we've very much enjoyed <laughs> the chaos that has come from her. That's um, wonderful. Yeah, she loves the snow as well. And we had a blizzard recently. And so it was the perfect combination of wind and snow that just made her go crazy. And she loved it. Um, and so my final question for you is that you've provided so much advice, uh, which I'm ser seriously just taking to heart. But I would love to hear what advice you have for orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic surgeons in training. A few things, I think. Um we, uh, I mean, we are always learning. I think you have to keep that in mind. I learn something every day from my residents, from my fellows, from my patients. Uh, you know, I, I learn things all the time. And I think being open to that is, it is a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think you need to keep in mind that you need, and I'll circle back to this, is you need mentors and you can never have too many and you should not be afraid to ask for it. You should not be afraid to say to people, you know, would you be available to have a coffee with me and just give me some advice? Because sometimes you'll learn something that you might not get otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and some people really need the mentorship. You should not feel like people are too busy uh, because they'll tell you if they really are. But you really should ask because if you don't ask, you'll never you'll never know whether that person could have been a mentor for you. And I, I really believe so strongly that it is our job to mentor those who are coming up behind us um, that, you know, I, I will I have often volunteered to mentor to people. And they're like, really? I said, yes, really, really. We will go and have a coffee. Um, so I, I think that's also a really important thing. And then the, the last thing I'd say is take notes. I didn't take enough notes as a resident. I didn't take enough notes as a fellow. I say this to my fellows all the time, mm -hmm. write it down. You will not remember it unless you do. And sometimes you're going to get out from wherever, you know, and you won't remember. You want to remember how somebody did something, but you won't. And so you need to have it written down somewhere and you'll remember it. That's incredible. Dr. Mariatis Wolf, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I know that you have many things to do and many things to accomplish. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I'm happy to have helped.
Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Jennifer Moriartis-Wolf. Please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. Another way you can provide support and keep this podcast up and running is to donate. You can visit our website at www.shecanfixitpod.com and visit our donation page. I want to take this time to thank my editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much for listening and please stay safe.